back, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this two-week spring that we have. As by the time we put this on air in two, next week, it will probably be 100 degrees. And, it'll, and we'll probably be wishing it was winter again. And we have a, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's very difficult to do virtual <laughs> podcasts, but we have a really special guest today. Um, she's one of the most amazing humans I have ever met and has many, many hats, including the physical cute hat she has on. But this is Carrie Blazik, and she is not only an educator, but she started a really awesome program called Weight Loss for Teachers. Yay, Carrie! Thanks, Jessica. I'm excited to be here. And so <laughs> thanks for the invitation to come on and talk to you guys. I really appreciate it. So I know a lot about you and your history, but our viewers don't. So can you tell them what got you started into education? Yeah, it's been, it's been a long, strange trip. <laughs> um, so I started teaching in 1996. I had originally gone to school for a degree in geology. And in the 90s, there were no jobs for geologists. So I went to school in Missouri and was actually out in Cedar City, um, Utah for my geology field camp. It was the first time I had ever been to Las Vegas. And it was during that trip that I decided that geology was not for me. I, I wanted to be a teacher. And so when I went back to school that fall, I started taking education classes and I finished up my degree and then went for my uh, education certificate as a post-baccalaureate and began teaching middle school science in 96. Amazing. And then I know you had a brief break, which kind of shaped you into who you are today. Do you want to talk a little bit about you left education, correct, and then came back? Yeah, so I started teaching in St. Louis originally, and that was like um, the total middle school philosophy when middle school was like really big and booming. My master's is actually in secondary ed with the emphasis in middle level. So, you know, that's how you and I ended up vibing because we're all about that social, emotional component of education. But I left St. Louis in 2004 and moved to Las Vegas and taught here in Clark County. And I worked in two different middle schools before I became a project facilitator in science. So I worked in curriculum and professional development for four years. And that was when the housing market, you know, bottomed out here in Las Vegas. And I always have said, like, looking back, that opportunities for me were usually wearing a disaster costume. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't really know, like, I was going to end up in Las Vegas the first time around. but that was disguised as um, a uh, engagement that went south, which left me with no house and no job. So I moved across the country. And then I didn't know in 2011 I was going to find myself without a house again, but I did a short sale on my condo. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, wait, this is, this is probably an opening to something new. And so I actually ended up resigning from the school district and traveling around the country with my dog. Uh, I was literally and figuratively in my element because I had a Honda element at the time. And <laughs> we, we traveled through like 38 states in the course of 18 months. Wow. So what made you come back to Vegas? Yeah, I didn't know I was going to come back. <laughs> 
I, I guess I've gotten really good at kind of listening to those little hints or those little voices, you know, the little uh, inspiration. Because after I had finished traveling around the country, I was living in Chicago and working in food and beverage. I worked at Starbucks for a couple of years, and then I also worked for Marriott as a, as a cocktail server. And I really was enjoying that job, had really no ideas or inclinations, thinking that I was going to come back to teaching. And then one day in August, I was on Facebook and looking at everyone's back to school pictures of their kids and a friend of mine who actually ended up taking my position at Curriculum and Professional Development is an um, administrator now. And she was posting about being back at work and needing a science teacher. And I was just joking around. I'm like, oh, I could always come back. And I was like, oh, I could go back to teaching. <laughs> so it's kind of like just like one of those little like whispers. Like I'm like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. And so um, actually I had just posted to Facebook the other day the, the kind of the, the story of how I ended up coming back, which started with that, you know, joking about returning to teaching and then thinking about it and actually looking at what it would entail. And so I gave myself a year to explore coming back and I ended up at Mac middle school and I were finishing up my second year back teaching school. And side note before she gets into like the big stuff, she is an amazing educator. One of the best teachers I've ever seen. I think you're second to my husband. I have to say my husband first. Of course. <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> um, so what is weight loss for teachers? What is weight loss for teachers? Yeah. So weight loss for teachers is a curriculum that I wrote. Um, after I'd figured out with, I'd been, I would say that I spent probably 37 years yo-yo dieting and struggling with my own weight loss. I was pretty much overweight as a kid, went on my first diet in seventh grade. And we was I'm back teaching seventh grade. And I was like, huh, sometimes things come full circle. Mm -hmm. So we really embraced growth mindset at our school. And I don't have to tell you, our listeners, that there's no one better at spotting hypocrisy than a seventh grader. <laughs> so I thought to myself, if I'm teaching these kids about growth mindset and we're setting, you know, resolutions for the new year, well, I better take a dose of my own medicine. So I was 49 that year and was thinking about, you know, I have this story that says, well, I guess I'm never going to figure this out. I don't know how to lose weight. I've been on a million diets. The growth mindset just says, I haven't figured it out yet. So if I'm asking the students to try again when they fail, like maybe I owe it to myself to try again. So I decided I was going to apply growth mindset to weight loss. And after about five months into the journey, I was like, you know, I figured out enough stuff that I should probably be sharing this with other people because I was able to kind of crack my own code when it came to weight loss by really looking at mindset. So I developed weight loss for teachers and it is really just a simple six step strategy that one, two, threes, and ABCs of weight loss that I figured out along the way and decided to share with other people. Now, how does um, weight loss for teachers work for educators? Can you like explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I was just really thinking of a community that I wanted to serve, and I knew what positive impacts 
embracing growth mindset was having for me and my students. And so, I mean, it's not like these six strategies only work for educators, but what I saw from myself when I went through them and was like learning how to apply these strategies in my own life, it wasn't just about the weight. It was more about my own mindset and how I was embracing my own failures, even in the classroom, because, well, I'd been gone from education. I'd been in 11 years since I was in the classroom when I came back. And I felt like I was in the student seat a lot of the time, like really having to extend a lot of grace and compassion to myself because it took a long time for me to get up to speed. Jessica will tell you, even though she thinks I'm an amazing educator, it didn't really look like that the first semester I was back in the classroom. It was a lot of tears and frustration and really humbling myself to that. So I think educators also face some unique struggles when it comes to weight loss or achieving their goals. Um, we're always used to kind of playing second fiddle and putting everything out there and sacrificing ourselves for our students. Um, and we also have like these really weird schedules. We have a very high level of stress ourselves and can be emotional eaters or, you know, used to having treats for kids and then kind of indulging in those same things for ourselves. So kind of looking at the unique package and struggles and strengths of teachers and using that to provide a platform for them to embrace growth mindset through the lens of weight loss, really. And I remember um, we were hanging out at your apartment when you were first starting to fully immerse yourself into this program that you've created. And you had your, it was just very simple, your, your book, and you would record each thing that you were going to eat the following day. Can you talk a little bit, give a snippet of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the one, two, threes, the first one is just one daily plan. So I, Jessica could tell you, I love the brain. I've always been fascinated by the brain, by neural research. Now, you know, I, like I said, I started teaching in the nineties. I'm 50 years old. There was no, I, there was no concept such as neuroplasticity when I was going through school. You know, you were told these are the brain cells you have. That's it. You, you know, drink too much. You're going to lose them. <laughs> like, you know, hang it up. So the whole idea of growth mindset and neuroplasticity and understanding the brain always was something I was fascinated by. I'd even read Carol Dweck's research before I came back to teaching. And so I was like, huh, so fascinating to me. So learning about the brain and how I can use my executive functioning skills, which we're always talking to the kids about. I'm like, oh, I can actually use the prefrontal cortex to help me when it comes to my food. If I just plan a day in advance, I could actually think with that strategic part of my brain and come up with a prescription of food for myself the next day, all the things that I know I should eat, or I could not even have to be that restrictive as long as I was intentional about what it was that I wanted to plan. So I called it the realistic, simple plan. So what's the realistic, simplest thing I could eat the next day? And then writing that down and kind of using it as a prescription for what to eat the next day so that I could catch myself in that, um, you know, automated default thought patterns that I, that we all fall prey to, especially at the end of a day of teaching where we're just like face down, you know, mm -hmm. in the cookie jar or halfway through the bottle of wine <laughs> thinking, oh, I was supposed to have a salad. What the hell? <laughs> 
So that was like the first, you know, that's the first step when I'm teaching weight loss for teachers or people are like, gosh, can you just give me one hint? Like, what can I do differently? And that really is, I think, the entry point for everyone. If you did nothing else, just strategically plan for your food a day in advance. Now, is there like a list of foods that you say it's like, no, you can't have, or it's like you could have everything, but like in moderation? Well, you know, Ryan, it's just like the students, we, we meet them where they are, right? So even though my seventh graders, like they don't all come in in the same place. I used to joke that like, I don't expect them all to walk in at the same height and weight. Like they all have, they're all over the place, right? And so same with each of us. It really is a matter of meeting yourself where you are because what's realistic and simple for one person is going to be totally different for another person. And what I found shocking was I lost my first 30 pounds eating ham sandwiches for lunch. I mean, that's not diet food. But the only way I was going to know if I could do it, if that, was, if that would work for me, would be by running the experiment and collecting my own data. So what I end up giving people is a lot of permission to try a lot of different things because most of us are just used to going on diets and being super restrictive. And then we're like burning ourselves out because we're trying to white knuckle it to the finish line. So what I eat now is drastically different, you know, after having lost probably, I don't even know, like 65, 70 pounds over the last year. So my food protocol and what I put on my plan is, is different now than where I started, but it's kind of like meeting yourself along the way and trusting that you're going to want to up level than having to go like super strict, you know, because keto might be great for somebody, vegan might be great for somebody. I don't know, but I think it's liberating for each person to be able to decide because ultimately the biggest thing is to be able to trust yourself with food which was a game changer for me to be able to just say like, Oh, I don't have to worry about what I have in the house anymore or going to a party or finding myself in any situation by manipulating some external circumstance because I can control my own thoughts and manage my own mind around food. And that was very liberating. So you're talking about thoughts and one of the most life changing things I learned from you which is like super simple and I've always known it, but it you explained it in such a beautiful way um, that it really helped me not only with weight loss, but with my life. And that's the thought model. Oh yeah. Good old Brooke Castillo and that thought model. Man. Can you, can you go over that for our viewers? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it isn't anything that like Jessica said, it's very simple at when I'll explain it to you. Um, it's not easy. It's like one of those things that's kind of in our face. So we've read a million different quotes about it. You know, I'd even put up a meme in, in my Facebook group today that's like, what's achievable is based off the belief you tell yourself. Like everyone will look at that and be like, yeah, but like, what do we do? <laughs> How does it work? So um, Brooke Castillo is a woman who runs the Life Coach School. She has an amazing podcast. And um, after I had lost some weight, I, I found her and started listening to her and really just fell in love with how simple she made the mind. We, because 
um, what she calls the thought model. She didn't develop it on her own. She read all these different, you know, philosophers and self-help books and, you know, some things that people may consider woo-woo, but she made it very concrete and applicable. So what she says is that there are circumstances in life. Um, you know, when it comes to weight loss, your weight, your height, your BMI, all those things, circumstance, neutral facts, or as a science teacher, you know, the data, right? Like just the facts. And then what we don't realize is that we have thoughts about those circumstances. 40 to 60,000 thoughts a day, like, you know, our brain is this big supercomputer, but we don't really have the manual. So the first thing is really slowing yourself down enough to be able to recognize the thoughts that you're having about the circumstance. So when I teach this to my students, I just say, they're like the sentences running through your mind. Like there's always a sentence there in your head. So slowing down and like looking at what the sentence is. Kind of like when I teach my students the difference between an observation and an inference. Their brain just jumps to the inference. We've got to slow it down. Look at the factual observation. And that's the same that's true with us, the same thing that Brooke teaches. So circumstance followed by the thought. And then the thought generates a vibration or a feeling in the body. And those can be thoughts that we're aware of, or sometimes they're thoughts that are in the subconscious that we're not even know that we're having the, the thought. Um, but the thought is what drives the feeling. So when you think about that mind-body connection, that's the connection between the thought and the feeling. And that most of the time, we just think that circumstances control our feelings, but somewhere there's a thought. And that's where you actually have power when you recognize the thought. Because I always tell my students, that they're like clothes. You can just try them on and see if one fits better than the other. Like there's endless thoughts available. So if you don't like the one that you're having or the physical sensation in the body is uncomfortable, you know, you could just allow the feeling to be there for a while and just sit with it. And then once you've processed the feeling, then you can choose a different thought because the feelings drive our actions. So the root of emotion is energy and motion. And so that's what creates our actions. They're based on our feelings. And then we usually just think of the actions getting the results, but there's so much more to that. So just really to recap, she said, Brooke Castillo teaches that it's the circumstance, which is neutral, generates a sentence in the mind, which is your thought. The thoughts produce feelings in the body, and then those feelings drive our actions, which ultimately produce our results. And I've totally stolen what you've learned from Brooke Castillo from what she's learned and I use it in my counseling practice now. So that's amazing. applicable to everything. <laughs> it's so good. And it's so funny because in science we teach about models all the time. So it's like, Oh, this is a model for how you're operating, even though you're not conscious of it or you can't see it happening. This is a, a way to have a, an idea of how you're processing, you know, internally, how the mind actually works. So I love the cross-cutting concepts that, that are at play with, uh, you know, our NGSS standards as well mm -hmm. as it being something, a really good tool for the social and emotional component. Mm -hmm. So for someone like me who's tried every diet and pretty much has failed, 
like how can someone get a hold of you in terms of trying weight loss for teachers out? Yeah, well, the probably the easiest way is to either find me on Facebook or to find go through my website. So the website for weight loss for teachers is just really easy. It's W L and then the number four and T. So just those four things. WL4T.com is the website. And on the website, there's a couple of different ways that you can uh, work with me. So one is I do have private one-on-one -on -one clients that I work with over a three-month course of time to really kind of get at the root of some of these core beliefs that are standing in your way. And then we go through week by week the ABCs and one, two, threes. So we talk about how to plan your food, uh, the importance of, of drinking water and getting rest, understanding the hunger scale, all the reasons why you're eating, are you actually hungry or what's at play, how to process your emotions and make other choices through some energy management practices, and then trusting that you're constantly up-leveling. So going from good choices to better choices to the best choice. And then really just having the courage to keep going all the times that you're going to mess up along the way, because as we know, when we're learning anything new, it's never perfect. So that's kind of how I work with my one-on-one -on -one clients. And then I also have a free Facebook group um, that I just launched. It's called the Weight Loss Laboratory. And so it's going to be, we started it last week, April the 15th, and that's going to run through June 30th. So people are welcome to do that. Or if they just want to have a short 15-minute attitude adjustment, <laughs> they can sign up for that too. And we can just talk on the phone and I can help you unlock maybe, you know, a place where you're getting stuck or point out a thought to you that maybe you aren't aware is tripping you up. All right, Miss Carrie, we have reached the end of the interview where we shift gears and ask you some elevating educator questions. Awesome. <laughs> so so the questions we ask everyone. We ask every single guest. I'm just looking them up because I always mess them up. Excellent. I love the title of the podcast, Elevating Educators. You know, I've always had such a heart for education. Um, and so I think what you guys are doing is really amazing because what I forget is way, way back at the beginning of my educational career, I was always trying to think of like how to um, make education a less oppressive environment, both for teachers, for kids. Like how do we really like rise to the occasion and make this a good place for kids and human beings all around, which is one of the reasons I'm so tickled to, to work at Mac Middle School with you because, okay. you know, building, building humans, baby. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, Carrie, Jessica came out with the name. I did. She came out with the graphics. I did. Okay. She came out with the colors. No, but you, Ryan. I do all the technical stuff. It was Ryan's brainchild. So thank you, Carrie, for... Yeah thinking that we're doing some good here because sometimes we're like is anybody watching us <laughs> do people care about us we're just gonna keep pushing yeah just um, keep fighting good fight right uh so carrie what is your dream school like you could design the perfect school what would it look like well gosh jess i would probably go back to the original school that i taught at we were a seven eight building and we were on teams which i drastically miss so i would go back to teamings and looping with the kids so i would go back to that original middle school philosophy that was really rooted in social and emotional intelligence 
uh, have the kids stay on a core team of five teachers and keep the kids or the babies for, you know, at least two years at a shot. I think continuity of care is sorely missing in most of our, our schools. I agree. Do you have the teams in middle, middle school, Jessica? Not at our site, but who knows what's to come. Maybe what will happen someday. I may go back. I know a lot of the schools have like the Harry Potter-ish type houses now too. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. So the second question is, and being an educator, this might have multiple answers. What is the most annoying education buzzword that you know of? What's the one that goes underneath your skin the most? <laughs> the first thing that jumped to mind is rigor. <laughs> <laughs> that darn rigor. Yeah, that darn rigor. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, there's, I mean, there's so many, uh, uh, you know, across the, the decades, but that's the one that kind of sticks in my craw right now. <laughs> Rigor's a good one. And then our last question is, who is, has your, who is your favorite teacher of all time? It could be a real teacher or a fictional teacher. Hmm. Gosh, I'm really fortunate that I had some amazing teachers as a child. Uh, they were critical. In, in my upbringing and I guess I'd have to pick Miss Burris she was my she was my middle school science teacher and she's the person that I always try to emulate or, or think about how um, how accessible she was how interested in she was in science and how she just provided us with so many unique experiences I can still remember I mean because Years and years and years ago, I'm 50. There's like seventh, you know, seventh and eighth grade. It was a long time ago. But we made leaf notebooks and we got to dissect cow eyes. And she taught us how to balance chemical equations. And we made yogurt. And I mean, she was. We did a mock trial. And like she was just a fascinating person. And really, it just taught me to love science and love asking questions about the natural world. And so I think she's probably one of my favorites. That's so awesome. You're emulating her. Yes. <laughs> to the best of my ability. Well, we appreciate having you, Miss Carrie Blazek. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys today.